Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, as always, Nina Pantic, and joined by Irina Falcone. Hey guys, how's it going? This episode is awesome. We have special guest, Tennis Sangren. Just like Jeannie Bouchard last week, I interviewed him at World Team Tennis. And it's, for those who have watched it on YouTube or Facebook, only the players in the video, so sorry if that's weird, but that's just the way social distancing is these days. I thought he was a great interview. We talked about his career, his highlights, his, US, his Australian Open breakthrough winning a title in Auckland, what that meant to him. There's kind of a bit of a pros and cons there to that. Talked about World Team Tennis, which is setting him up for the rest of this season. He's gotten a wild card into Cincinnati, and he's playing the U.S. Open. One of the biggest takeaways from the interview with Tennis Angren is his relationship with the media is understandably strained, especially because of how things went down at 2018 Australian Open when he made his breakthrough. He's also kind of a quintessential grinder on tour, a journeyman or used to be. He's only 29 now. Breakthrough was when he was like 26. Um, but I thought the fact that he said winning Auckland was only fun for like five minutes was interesting. Irina, your take on that? It's such a common theme, especially in tennis, because the turnaround between tournament to tournament is so quick. You don't have like a week or two weeks or a month, like some sports allow you to just have that rest time and enjoy that championship in tennis, uh, no pun intended. In tennis, like you just literally go from week to week, from country to country, from city to city, to tournament to tournament. And so for him, I think he had to actually play the very next day uh, after his win. So talk about like, all right, let's celebrate, maybe have like a glass of wine, maybe a little champagne toast, but then it's like back to the grind. So I totally like, I get it. But I will say that I love the fact that he bought himself an awesome truck after. So he really did treat himself. And that's the one thing that I know a lot of players struggle with doing. Like, hey, acknowledge that I did something good here. So I thought that was awesome. And for me, the biggest takeaway or like one of the main takeaways from this interview is that he thinks of himself as toxic. He doesn't have any sponsors. And that's really hard to hear from someone that I understand to be super likable from other players. I've never had a bad interaction with him. I've never heard of a bad interaction with him. and how toxic can you really be, though, if you got a wild card into Cincinnati? So that's exciting. Arena, what's your take of the fact that Cincinnati is going to be played at the U.S. Open site in New York? Honestly, I'm blown away of the fact that not only is U.S. Open happening, but they're going to have another tournament happening. Um, in some cases, I think it's going to be great for players because you're going to feel adjusted. You're going to be used to the environment. Um, and so I think it's, it's going to be great for the city of New York. I think it's awesome that the USTA and WTA and ATP have actually gotten together and are able to come to terms with hosting two huge events during, you know, global pandemic, no big deal. So I think it's going to be great in a lot of senses, uh, but it's going to definitely be weird. I hope it all goes really well for everyone, especially for tennis. Like I said, he's got a wild card, which means a lot given the fact that he's ranked 55 and needs a wild card to get in. So just the standard of the tournament is really high. Um, so anyway, let's jump right into the interview with Tennis Sandgren, get to know him a little bit, his backstory, 
how he got into tennis. His name obviously comes up. Why wouldn't it? Let's get right into that interview. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, Tennis Sangren, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Nina. Thank you. We're here at the Greenbrier in West Virginia. How has your experience been so far with World Team Tennis? Uh, it's been great, honestly, to get out of the house and compete and play tennis and do what I love to do, and be around people um, to a degree, which is nice, and uh, just enjoy playing on the court and being in that team environment. Does it feel unusual and strange now to be playing back-to-back-to-back matches with some kind of level of consistency and structure? Yeah, uh, remembering what it's like to feel hurt (laughs) after like three or four or five days of playing in a row and some of the older injuries that just overuse stuff that pops up, starts popping up. It's like, oh yeah, I remember you. you. I've been there in the last few months, but you're back. It's nice to see you again, sore Achilles or... Sore shoulder. There you are. Um, so that's kind of just feels more familiar than not, to be honest. But uh, it's nice to guy get in a rhythm actually, and like play a bunch of points and feel like you're like finding your feet. And I think the tennis the level's been pretty good thus far. And having some kind of level of structure of like you know the next two weeks or three weeks of this mm-hmm. season you're you're playing tennis and it's going to count for something. Right. Right. Exactly. Which feels familiar versus you got two or three weeks or two or three months ahead of you and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just practice some, I guess. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to have that sort of structure where that hasn't been the case for the last little while. When the shutdown happened, where were you? Were you at Indian Wells or at home and how did you react to it? Cause initially I know for me, I didn't think it was going to be very long. Uh, I was at, I was in Indian Wells, I guess when they started, things just started canceling. Um, I thought that, things were going to get canceled for a little while immediately. And I was a little frustrated. I remember Miami was like, tournament's going on per usual. Right after Indian Wells canceled, and I was thinking, no, <laughs> it's definitely not. Uh, so it's kind of bizarre, and I don't think anybody really knew how to plan or what the deal was going to be. No one's really, I don't think anybody who's alive has lived through a pandemic thus far, so it's all new for people. Um, yeah, I handled it well. I thought about buying a bike and just biking home from, uh, from California to Tennessee. It crossed my mind to actually do it. So I was like, I, was, I have nothing to do for the next two months. I knew it immediately, like within the first day of it canceling, I'm like, what am I going to do for the next forever? So I thought about doing that and I, I didn't because that would have been crazy for me. But where'd you put your bags? Shipping? I was going to ship them. And you're going to buy a bicycle and bike home. Yeah, I looked at the bicycle place and everything. I just didn't, I didn't do it. Do you bike a lot in no, normal life? sure don't. Okay. Sure don't. Just sounded like a fun thing to try. But you can try all kinds of stuff knowing at that point you're, you ha- well, you probably didn't know it was going to be four months, but did you try anything else new that was different for you that maybe is out of character when you're usually on tour grinding? Mm-hmm. No, I, don't, I didn't try anything different, to be honest. You just got better at drums a little bit and then stopped. The smallest margin better at drums and basically stayed the same and everything else and just did different activities until I could go to sleep and then I'd wake up and I'd do the same days. 
Did you feel any like, like nervousness or anxiety about like when you're going to get back or did you kind of enjoy having a little bit of a break? I would not use the word enjoy. Um, also didn't really have anxiety about when we were going to get back. It's just like, I don't know, just feeling, feeling days. It's difficult because you can't plan anything. You can't be like, okay, well, I can't play tennis, but I'm going to go do you know, X, Y, Z to have another purpose in life to go do something. It's like you feel kind of purposeless. There's nothing to really accomplish during the fact that everything's shut down. It's like, well, what now what do you do? And I don't know, maybe got a glimpse of what it would be like to retire. You just enjoy, like when you're like 60 and you retire, and you're like, okay, what do I do now? I don't know. <laughs> like, you're going to play tennis for 60? No, no, no. I just retire from like <laughs> yeah. working. We're assuming that, or you're making the assumption that I'm going to make enough money in tennis that I can just retire in general. Yeah. Like at 34, I'm just going to be like, all right, I'm good. I don't have to work anymore. Is that the plan? I guess, yeah, that would be the dream. Uh, I mean, I would still do something regardless. Even if I had, even if I had all of King Midas' silver, I'd still have to do something. You have to fill your time somehow. That's true. At least that's what we've learned in the past four months. I I've already knew this. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give quarantine the, the satisfaction of teaching me that lesson. I knew that one before, but just that that part of it was the hardest part. Just like how can I fill my days and feel like I'm being productive? Have you thought about what you would do if you did retire, <clears throat> or when you do retire? At 34? I've thought about it. I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. I've thought about going back to school, coaching. Um, I don't know. I just we'll see. So it kind of depends how my career ends up, to be honest. It seems to be going pretty well. More doors will be open to me to do different stuff if I win more matches. And less doors will be open if I lose more matches. You know, it just it's funny. It's That's just how it works. So kind of I think you've work. already kind of established yourself, though. I mean, as the tour shut down, stopped the rankings, you're like 55. I mean, that's it's up there. Do you feel like yeah, you've established yourself? Yeah, but it's like if I like, win a slam or something. That changes, yeah, that would change, change things. what I would do. So. Um, so I, I don't know. Just kind of we'll see how, how things play out. Do you feel comfortable as a top 100, top 60 player yet? Or does that never really happen to players where you're like, yeah. okay, I'm good? Yeah. I mean, comfortable comfortable as in like, like, a, like a satisfaction comfortable or just like... Like, like it's confident normal. maybe is the word I'm going yeah. for? Yeah. I mean, definitely. Definitely. I feel like I should be there and I feel like I can be higher than that for sure. I feel like I can do better. I had, I had like four or five months after Australia where I had no points to defend. At 55, I felt pretty good about, you know, making another push. Didn't get the opportunity, but you know, we'll see. So you mentioned school. You went for one year, two years at Tennessee? Three semesters. Three semesters. And did you go into that school experience thinking, I'm probably going to turn pro in the middle of this? Or did you want to go to pro I was thinking before? about turning pro. Uh after my first semester, but I just wasn't very good. So then I went back to school and played and still wasn't very good. And then won a few futures in the summer and was like, all right, if I had done that before I went to school, I would have just turned pro. So I'm just turn pro now, I guess. And yeah, I mean, it's not like I thought I was, that I had made it or something. I was like 500 in the world. I knew I was nowhere, but I felt like I was at least good enough to maybe get through that and win more matches and get better. When's the first time you realize like I've made it out of that that step of like it being this grind and no fans and no no trainers and no money? When's when's the, the jump? Probably when I got into the US Open for the first time on my own ranking. I think I think yeah. Was when I was like, Okay, I think if I can 
keep playing well and stay healthy, I can stay here at least, I think. I can get into these at least slam main draws and some tour event main draws and qualities of the larger Masters events and things like that. And it's like, well, that's a lot better than where I've been. So I think I can, if I can sustain that, then that would be great. And then I've done better than that. So just, it was interesting trying to think about what to do after I got inside of 100. That was always my goal was to get inside of 100. So it took six years to do that for me. I was like, what do I do now? What do we do? What do I, do I just, do I just move the market of 50? Like, what's the, can I do that? Am I good enough? I, the, you just don't know. So it's interesting to kind of see, okay, what do you, where do I set my goals now? Did you change the goals then? Surely you have. Yeah. I mean, I, at this point I have, it took a, it took a while though. Cause you, I mean, I never knew if I was good enough to be better than that. So it's hard to set a goal if you don't know if it's even remotely realistic or not. Have you ever asked your parents if they, I mean, I know it was after a grand, a grandfather or you, a grandfather. it's a family name. I mean, that's sweet. But have you ever asked your parents, like, what were you thinking here? And then, did they intentionally be like he should play tennis, or was that just like a natural? Well, they both played. They both played, and it's in the family. And the name wasn't related to the sport, but they liked it and pulled the trigger. I guess you know they went for it, full send. And here we are. Okay, so looking ahead now, you've you've established yourself number fifty five going into what should be the reopen. Have you put some thought into how life will look after World Team Tennis? Do you? I've thought about it, and I don't know. I've got this sense of dread that nothing's going to be played. We'll see. I don't see how it's going to play out either. But let's <sighs> say hypothetically, Europe, I yeah. don't know. I mean, things are all right now, but that could change. And it's hard to move in between Italy and Spain into France. All it takes is a little outbreak and things start shutting down again. And, uh, Are you prepared for going back to sitting at home and waiting it out and working out? Yeah, I don't care, to be honest. I just, I mean, it would suck, but like, what are you going to do? Yeah. You seem to have a good attitude about it. I don't feel like I have a good attitude about it. I got to be honest with you. I feel like you're letting things happen as they are, and you're not like upset about it or stressed. No, I'm not. I'm not stressing about it because I have zero control over it. And if there's something to play, I'll go play. But if there's not, then I don't know. I just I've been working with the trainer up in Columbus, so I'll probably just go up there and work out there for a while. Do you have a full-time coach too right now? Yeah, I mean, you could say that Michael Russell, but I haven't seen him since in Moss, so. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, today we have ATP star Tennis Sangren telling us the moment he thought he made it on the ATP tour. Keep listening. All right, so I want to ask you about Auckland. Title win. That was your a, mil a milestone, we could say. How Was there anything different when you went into that week? Did you feel different or was it just more like things kind of lined up for you and it worked out? How does these How would you explain it? I trained really hard in the off season. Put a lot of 
put a lot of time and effort into into training and just being super professional and super strict on my diet and things like that and just everything I was doing was geared towards trying to start the year well because I had the quarters from Australia coming off and my career was going to get nuked if I didn't defend any of the points so I'm like well now's the time to you know put in full effort and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out there's nothing to do about it but at least put myself in a position to and uh, I like Auckland it's good vibes there it's it's nice so got over there felt pretty good had, had a, a good friend of mine that was coaching me got away with me it just kind of clicked and played well from the get-go I thought there were some guys there that weren't that ready yet to play if that makes sense like I felt like I was more prepared than than a lot of the guys that were in the in the draw so I just started strong and was serving well and things worked out and I remember the semis I played a joke well I played Cole Schreiber who's a much better tennis player than I am and I got out of a love 40 uh, service game in the first game of the match. I was super tight. And after that, I played the best match I think I've ever played. And then the finals was against Cam, who I had lost to maybe the last four times we had played. And just played well. I mean, it was great. How long does great. the happiness last after winning a title like that? It was, it was a lot of fun till the next morning when I got on a plane at 6 a.m., flew to Melbourne and played the following afternoon. That wasn't much fun. Yeah, but brutal. But still great. Brutal in a perfectly fine way. Yeah. You know, it's, I was still really happy to win the title and I got my truck uh, to celebrate that one. Just, I didn't really, I don't really celebrate uh, stuff like that, but I was like, you know what? Probably should. Probably should buy a giant, Probably giant should. truck. I was thinking, I'm not really a car guy, but I'm like, big truck would be nice. Tennessee, Tennessee, Nashville. Yep. Come on, what am I going to do? Buy a big truck. I had to buy the truck. All right, so then before that, you you mentioned you're defending Australia in open points. That was 2018, you made the quarterfinals. I think that's probably when most people would say that was your breakthrough. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. That was... uh, moment when people were like, maybe he can play tennis. I was thinking, maybe I can play tennis. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like it. Uh, then the rest of the year was was tough. I had an arm injury the whole... I mean, I had an arm injury going into the tournament, but it just kept getting worse and worse. And I had to take a lot of the summer off so I couldn't swing the racket. And um, it got better. It got better enough that by the fall I was playing right and could then train going into the 2019 season, but uh, it was tough because I was playing really well, but my arm was torched. So a lot of tennis to try to get my ranking up enough to get in Australia. You've had a ton of injuries, so yeah. Some, I mean, hip surgery, just that arm thing sucked. Um, nothing other than hip surgery, nothing major. Say that, but always getting banged up. I don't know. I play kind of physical. I'm a bigger guy that runs around the court maybe a little too much and moves kind of hard. So it's it's not it's not an easy way to play. It's not light on my on my body at all. Was it frustrating how all of the off court stuff kind of ruined or took away from the on court stuff? Um, it sucked that I was I didn't really get a good shot at that quarterfinal match. I was exhausted, so tired going into that match. It's already 
tired just from the tennis part, but the other stuff is just just way too much to try to deal with um, to feel good going into that match and played fine I mean I played okay I thought I thought I could have won that match especially um, seeing the fact that he had a crater sized blister on his foot that I could have won a set one of the first two sets I feel like I could have just run away with the match because he was you know fighting through some pain um, after the like the next two weeks I just stayed in my house and just slept for a lot. I just, I didn't do anything. I was exhausted, just tiring, stressful when, I don't know, it's all a facade anyway. It's all, none of it's real. None of it's real. There's no, there's no interaction. There's no human interaction. There's no, like all of my human, all of my personal interactions, uh, we're all, great. I had no issues with any of my relationships with people. And yet I'm in the situation where I'm in an unwinnable situation. There's nothing I can do about it. It's like, well, it's just exhausting. Really. There's something, like I said, it's just not reality. I mean, I think right now in the current climate, there's so much of this cancel culture going on. So I think it's easy to compare like what happened then to that mm-hmm. just ridiculousness. I mean, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of it going around. There's a lot of it going around. Just, I don't know. There's, 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 the other, there's many examples, and everyone has its own distinct texture and, and, and circumstance. So while they're comparable, they're not, they're not all the same, obviously. So, but just a lot of them are just like, I don't know, this ever-changing standard that everything is looked through the lens of what is deemed appropriate now. And even something that was okay three years ago is not okay today. So if we continue to do that, then nothing will be okay. So nobody feels like they can say anything that's on their mind. But it's a very sterile world to live in. It's kind of boring. It's not really much fun. It certainly isn't very funny. Comedians have to really watch what they say. It's, I don't know, we tried to cancel Kevin Hart last year. It's an amazing thing. If we keep looking at everything through the lens of right now and and judge everything that's ever been said, then yeah, it's going to be tough. I don't know how that changes. Other than maybe people just get sick of it and they're like, whatever. It would be nice to have some personality again in the world. And we'll take the good with the bad and and just move on with our lives. If we don't like somebody, we just won't listen to what they have to say. Do you feel like you were misunderstood or you aren't? Because I, as far as I know, and I, I don't really know you well, but I feel like you're a very likable, likable guy and everyone on tour likes you. So do you feel like that you just seem misunderstood in the public eye and then it's just got to let it go? Uh, I mean, at this point, I feel like I'm not particularly misunderstood, to be honest. Um, most people that know me either from few interactions or a few interactions online or people that know me from tournaments and friends and whatnot, like I feel like I have a good view of my person, I guess. But there's some of these people on the internet that look, if you're going to, I'm going to write something about tennis and you're going to talk politics like, like that, 
what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? Like, I haven't said anything in years. I feel like you've come back though, like on, like you mentioned Twitter and how you can't say anything funny and you can't say anything being, being afraid of offending people, but you've come back. I feel like the past, especially the past yeah. maybe like a year, it's been, you've been yeah, back on well, there. It's a fine line to say something funny without really offending anybody. I feel like I've done it a couple times at least, but yeah, I mean, some of my tweets have been funny, self-deprecating, you know, it's still like, I don't know. Levity is still very important, I think. We're all very serious. and Some of these things that are going on are very serious, but I still think you should be able to laugh at certain stuff. And I think that's healthy. Do you feel, like, nervous expressing yourself now, or have you moved, like, you know what, no. I'm going to be myself and it's good? I don't care. Because I have no... I have no... Uh, I have no obligations. I have no ties. If I end up saying, I mean, I'm not trying to, but if I ended up saying something that was offensive or something like that, or it's like, I have no sponsors. <laughs> I buy my clothes and I buy my string. It's like, Wilson sends me rackets, which I'm very happy about, but like, what? What's going to happen? What, I'm going to buy my shoes more? Like, like what, what's going to happen? Like, I'm going to play tennis and that's that. Like, I can't, nothing to lose so to speak. So. You should definitely have sponsors. You're top 60 in the yeah, world. Very toxic. No, you're not. That's the perception. Still. Well, it's enough for brands to not want to be interested. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. At that point, it doesn't matter. I'm free to do what I want. You made the quarterfinals of the Australian Open and played Roger Federer. Yeah. That was center stage. That was a global phenomenon. In a way, maybe not the way you probably uh, hoped it went. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. I would have loved to have won that match, but promise you that, despite your best intentions, life does not work out the way that you would like it to. It just doesn't. So it worked out all right, I guess. It was still a pretty good tournament. It played well, and it's a good match, and people were entertained. And if that's not enough, then you shouldn't play because. Sometimes that's all you get. Would you say most of your interactions with people are always positive? Yeah. For sure. The occasional interaction with a ref that isn't. But... <sighs> it's tough out there. It's entertaining, though. It's real tough out there. But, um, yeah, for the most part, I mean, there's nothing else to do. I mean, what are you going to do? Not be like that? Hold grudges? or I, I don't know. It's just it's a much easier way to be when you're chill with people. Why wouldn't you? You are very chill. What do you want people to remember you as? If like, let's say you're like 60 and you've retired and it's like your family or whoever, how do you think you want them to remember Tennis Sandgren? He's assuming I have a family. That's interesting. Uh, I have my hypothetical family. Uh, that's a strange question. You're welcome. I don't know. Um, I don't know, someone who was true to their character, somebody who had morals, somebody who um, stuck to their word, I would say. Okay. That's good. I think you're very polite. Maybe funny on occasion. Funny and polite. Occasion, that, that would be fine too. But like anything else, jokes don't always hit, you know. You throw a bunch out there and some hit, some don't hit, and... You know, at least get some hit on occasion. So 
I hear that a lot. Yeah, that's how I feel about writing as well. I just gotta throw out a bunch of content and hope one of them's all right. Yeah, uh, that's how it works. All right, I feel like I've taken up enough enough of your time. I mean, I have nothing to do. I gotta be honest, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for joining. You are quite welcome. Thank you, Matt. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu. 